Hey guys, welcome. So glad you're joining us online. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here at Grace Church in Norton Campus. And if it's your first time hanging out with us online, welcome. Uh, love the fact you're tuning in. If you have a Bible, grab it. Romans 12 is where we're at. We're in the fifth week of series called Life Together. The whole reason we're doing this series is one of our values is this. Here at Grace Church, we share life together. And we say it this way, we can't live without honest relationships. Need to be together. We are resolved to figure out how to love God, love each other. In fact, that's what Jesus says the most important thing. Love God, love others. And then to live on mission together. Uh, I think that is the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that's our value. And we want to kind of flesh out this whole idea of life together. Here's what we've said. This idea of life together would be a piece of cake if it weren't for people that we have to do said life together with, right? That sometimes people can make that diff difficult for us. And that's why Paul's talking to these house churches in Rome. And in the book of Romans, he's addressing them. In chapters 1 through 11, he said, here's the gospel, deep dive into the character of God, the beauty of salvation, the sacrifice of Jesus, and all that that accomplishes. And that leads him to say this, Therefore I urge you, in light of all that, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the gospel, chapters 1 through 11, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, set apart to God. This is true and proper worship. That's what it means to worship God. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what we said, that his body was sacrificed for our sin. This is all review. So that when we say yes to Jesus, our bodies become a living sacrifice that together with everybody else who says yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, make up the body of Christ, the church. That's the whole point of this. When we say yes to the one who gave up his body for our sin, our bodies belong to his body. Uh, and we looked at that. Man, you can go back and check out the first four weeks. We belong to each other as followers of Christ. We've been given different gifts for the good of the entire body. But then we said this, after he kind of shares those facts with us, Paul gets on this roll, 13 verses, 30 commands. And it's not just this to-do list, but literally these commands come as a response to the gospel. I heard one preacher put it this way, the fire to-do in the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what's been done. That, that we respond, the whole Christian life is a response to all that God's done for us. And so here's what he said. We looked at this, weeks three and four, that, that love must be sincere. Love doesn't wear masks. It hates what's evil. It, it clings to what's good. It's devoted, like brotherly love kind of devoted, right? We said this, that this kind of love kind of tries to outdo each other and how much we honor each other. Last week, Pastor Aiden said this community's different because it's joyful in hope. It's not anxious when things are uncertain. It's patient in affliction. It doesn't get cynical with its circumstances. It's faithful in prayer. It's not committed to control. And it's, and it's an extraordinarily generous community. <laughs> Buckle up. This week, Paul's going to go from teaching to meddling. <laughs> Here's what he's going to talk about. How in the world do we do life together in response to the gospel with people who may not even be part of the church, like just people who aren't even followers of Christ? But how about, how do we do life together with people who just bug us? who fight with us, difficult people, people who treat us unfairly or downright mean to us. How do you and I do life together with people who've used us and hurt us, 
said bad things about us? How do we do life with the people in our life that are hard to be with? How do we keep peace with people who steal our peace? It's one thing to do life together with your friends. How do I do life together with my enemies? What do I do with the people in my life that are stirring up trouble, always wanting to fight? Here's what you know. You already know this. You and I know this. That In our culture, we have some well-worn paths that our world tries to conform us to when it comes to difficult people who bully us, criticize us, even hurt us deeply. Let me ask a question. Raise your hand. A little participation. How many of you would say you're fighters versus flighters? Raise your hand. You're a fighter, man. I just mean somebody messes with me, I'm going to mess with them, right? So how many of you say you're a flighter? You, you run. You're like, I just kind of get away from it. Yeah, you know who you are, right? You fighter, somebody posts something on social media, man, you're firing back twice as much content, right? Whereas those of you who are flighters, uh, you just unfriend them. Like, boop, done, over. Uh, some of you are like fighters, like when you and your spouse get in, you're like, you're in the grill. You're like, let's talk this out. I want on your right, follow them around the house. Those of you who are flighters, like, leave me alone. I need some space, right? Some of you are fighters. And so if they're going to hit you, you're going to hit them back harder. Some of you are flighters. If they're going to hit you, you're going to run away. Uh, to be honest with you, some of you are hit and runners. <laughs> Raise your hand. that you? Yeah, some of you are hit and runners. I think what we're going to find is that whether you're a fighter or a flighter, both responses are part of a well-worn path that conforms to the pattern of this world. And I think Paul's going to challenge that. It made me think of a story, this young a uh, young boy in our church here came up to me a couple Sundays ago and he said, Pastor Nan, can I talk to you? I want to share something somebody asked me to share with you. And I said, tell him what's that? And he has this boy that's bullying him and wanting to pick a fight with him at school. And he wanted to tell me how he deals with that. And he said, when that boy comes up to me and he wants to fight me and he's kind of bullying me and he's kind of bowing up against me, here's what I do, Pastor Dan. And he was looking at me and I'm, I couldn't wait to hear his answer. He said, I just start tap dancing. <laughs> I, I said, you tap dance? He said, I just start tap dancing. I said, what does he do? He said, he leaves. <laughs> he leaves. He doesn't know what to do with me. I think the kid's like 10, 11 years old. I, I think what Paul is getting ready to say is as weird in our culture as tap dancing in a barroom brawl. <laughs> Here's what he says. Look what he says. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people in low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay, uh-oh, evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, he says, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it's written. It's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What's that about? We're going to come back. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That ain't normal, can we just say it? That's just weird. There's nothing natural about that. That's like tap dancing in a street brawl. <laughs> That's what that feels like to me. It's like Paul is saying, I want you to tap dance in the middle of a street brawl, living life being renewed every day by the gospel and God's mercy toward us will transform how you and I respond to the difficult people in our life. Notice, there's something in this section I want us to see and I have a screen just so you can see it. I kind of pulled it out. 
But what Paul has said in view of God's mercy, ready, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And in this section, you know what he does? It's where he starts outlining, here's some things, do not. Look how he does this. In view of God's mercy, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not curse when they persecute you. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't repay evil for evil. When they do evil to you, I don't want you to conform to the pattern of this world by repaying evil for evil. I don't want you to conform to the pattern of this world by taking revenge. I don't want you to conform to the pattern of this world by overcoming evil with evil. Instead, he says, I want the mercy of God to transform you, to renew you, so that there is something different that comes from you. Here's a sermon in a sentence. Just get your pencil ready. Ready? Here, here it is. I think what Paul is saying is renew your mind every day with the gospel. Every day preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself. So you respond instead of react to difficult people in your life. Go ahead and write that down. Just take a minute. Renew your mind every day. He says, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and is preaching the gospel to myself every day that renews my mind so that I respond instead of react. Because I'm going to tell you something, there's two trains we can take when it comes to difficult people in our life. You know what I'm talking about? We take the reaction train. You know how that works? We encounter difficult people, people who say bad things about us, people who abuse, hurt us, whatever it might be, people who are just difficult, people who don't respect us, and they make us feel a certain way. You know that. This reaction wells up inside of us. And whatever we feel drags our actions, and then what we do is we just kind of tag the gospel along and try to explain it away. That's the reaction train. What Paul is saying, when I renew my mind every day with the gospel and I encounter difficult people, the gospel is what catalyzes my action. That's actually what worship is. So I respond to difficult people based on God's mercy to me and to them. And my feelings, sometimes they it tag along behind. They come along later. So how does that play out? Well, four things. Let's just get them quick. Four things we're going to talk about today. The first thing that sticks out in this passage is this. He said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, come back to that, live at peace with everyone. There's something hidden in there that I think is interesting when it comes to dealing with difficult people. That if you and I are going to respond to the gospel, here's the first thing, first principle then we're going to respond by identifying with them instead of simply ignoring them. Now, I would put a star beside this. We'll come back. I'll tell you why. Put a star beside this point. Put two stars, maybe three stars. Three stars beside this point. Because there's caveats to this or, or there's some things we've got to explain. But, but, but I think that's the point. That we're going to identify with them instead of ignoring them. For some of us, the normal reaction to difficult people in our life is to ignore them, avoid them, figure out ways to cut them out of our life. Maybe that's you. Now, I, I was doing a funeral and somebody uh, wrote a tribute and in there was a Facebook post. And it says, three steps to a happy life. Step one, never invest too much emotion on one thing because if you do, you end up hurting yourself. Step two, learn to live without worries because God will take care of everything. But step three, don't stress yourself with useless people who don't deserve to be an issue in your lives. Just cut them out. And, and some of us, that's the way we deal with difficult people. You got a friend who disagrees with you, just stop talking to him. Uh, you're in a group and that group, someone in the group's insensitive, just find a new group. Uh, you have a family member who's hard to be with, you just stop visiting them. 
Someone doesn't respect you, guess what? You start avoiding them. Someone starts saying bad things about you, you just cut them out, act like they don't exist. Someone makes fun of you, you retreat. Kids aren't, aren't being raised like your kids, you begin to isolate. For a lot of us, we just ignore difficult people. It's just easier in our mind. For, for some of us, you, you can't, it's harder to ignore them because, well, I don't know how to say this, and don't look around, but you live with the difficult people. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we do, what we do is we give them, ready, the silent treatment. How many of you, come on, be honest, you're a silent treatment person. Here's what the silent treatment is. I wrote it this way in my notes. I'm going to punish you by being in your presence, but not acknowledging that you're present. That's what the silent treatment is. And when we don't identify with our difficult people in our life, here's what we end up doing. We end up caricaturizing them. You know what that means? When we have difficult people, people are hard to be with, caricaturizing a person is making them one-dimensional. That person lied to me once, they are a liar. So we take that and we say that's just who they are. That person, let's get political for a second, is a Republican or a Democrat, and all Republicans and all Democrats are this. They are. Right? And then what happens is we begin over them. When we don't identify with others, even difficult people, and we say all those people are always that way, they will never change, they are the worst, and then we end up dehumanizing them. That's what happens when we don't identify, even with the difficult people in our life. There's this interesting quote. I've shared this in series in the past. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy, whoever those difficult people are, from the community of humans. When I dehumanize them, make them one-dimensional, label them, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners, all of a sudden I've stopped identifying with them. And when we do this, we stop identifying with them through the gospel I think that's why Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with little people. Don't be conceited. The gospel says God didn't ignore us, even though we were ignorable. We were his enemies. Not the easiest to stomach all the time. Not the easiest to live with. Downright difficult. That's part of the mercies of God that Romans 12 is talking about. Because Romans 5, which comes before Romans 12, he talks about those mercies. He says, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we now have peace with God because of what Jesus did for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we are confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. How did he do that? When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time, died for sinners, most wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person. Someone maybe would die for an especially good person, but here we go. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were undeserving, still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of Jesus, that's the mercies of God, while we were still, say that word, his what? Enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. I think what he's saying is that we have a God who identified with us when we were ignorable. Now, several caveats. Can I do that? And then we got to go to reason. He said, don't you love it? If it is, what? Say it out loud. 
possible as far as it depends on you. Can I give you three caveats? First is this, it doesn't always depend on you. Like sometimes being at peace and living at peace, it doesn't always depend on you. Which leads to this, sometimes living at peace means I need to modify my relationship and create healthy boundaries. There are some difficult people in your life and it doesn't mean you need to be their BFF. Paul's point is don't avoid them just because they're difficult. Identify with them. But it doesn't mean you need to be their BFF. And if there's somebody that's hurting you, it's offering to reestablish that relationship in a different way. If it's somebody who's been extremely difficult, uh, one of the passages I heard Tim Keller uh, teach on this, it's interesting to me, and all this comes from his teaching, that gets misunderstood is in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus says this, he says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Bless those who curse you. That sounds familiar. Pray for those who mistreat you. That sounds familiar. And then he says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And a lot of people are like, what does that mean to turn the other cheek? Well, you got to understand, that's this idea of slapping somebody on the cheek, somebody's probably not trying to kill somebody by slapping them on the cheek. But this would have been metaphorical that the face would have represented this friendship, this relationship. And to slap me on the cheek is to insult the friendship, is to insult the relationship. And so I think what this is telling me is there are three ways that I can deal with this. I can be slapped on the cheek and then I can slap you, maybe harder, and try to overcome your evil with evil. The second thing I can do is I can keep offering the same cheek to you. It's like this passive-aggressive silent treatment. Just take it over and over and over again until I eventually either lose it on you or just lose any kind of feeling for you. But he says instead, turn to them the other also. I think that gives us the third alternative, and I think it's about modifying our relationship because I can turn the other cheek, and that's the attempt to reestablish. She slapped me here. Reestablish the relationship on different footing. Not going for their cheek, not ignoring them, but confronting the evil in them. Sometimes saying, I want to talk about what it is that's between us. And sometimes you have to modify the behavior. It doesn't always depend on me. Sometimes I've got to modify the behavior. And the third caveat, don't have time to flesh this out. I have in the past. But this does not mean you should stay in a relationship where you're being abused. And if you're watching this and you're in an abusive relationship, I'm saying this, that staying in that relationship might not only be unsafe, it might be something that's not loving. In that same teaching, Tim Keller had this interesting quote, enemies or abusers may be so dangerous that to have anything to do with them is to invite them to sin. And in that case, the good you can do is stay away from them. I think that's interesting. You see, here's the deal. He says, if it depends on you, and as much as is possible, live at peace. But then he says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Uh, what's he saying here? I think it's another thing on the response train. I think we respond to cruelty with kindness. That ain't normal either. Let's just say, when I respond versus react, I'm going to return kindness in response to cruelty. They curse me out, I'm going to bless them out. 
Yeah, that's like pretty normal, right? <laughs> like I read and I'm like, what? It's almost like, can you get real, Paul, for a second? Uh, somebody does something cruel and you want me to be kind. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, gives me the one finger salute, and you want me to pronounce a blessing? For real? <laughs> I mean, come on. You've been driving around recently? You know how that works. Man, somebody cuts you off and they give you the horn and they give you the salute and you're like, man, come here. Right? I mean, you feel it, I feel it. I remember one time I was with my kids and uh, this, this kid pulled up in a four-wheeler and cut us off and kind of was toying with us. And man, I could feel the reaction train taking over. And I followed that boy. Man, he was flying down the road and my kids were in the car and I don't, that reaction train got going. And I'm like, man, I just want to bless you. That wasn't on my mind, Right? But, but that's what happens when, our, when, we, when we get on the reaction train. The feeling drags the action. The God, I don't know, the gospel isn't even a part of that in my mind. Thankfully, he hit a cornfield and went, right? Yeah, the, the deal is, the only power I know to do this is to respond to the gospel. What Paul is saying is, is as much as it depends on you and I, and that is not enough all the time, live at peace. The body of Christ is a peacemaking, peaceable community. In the face of meanness, we offer grace. In the face of cruelty, we extend kindness. Do not give people what they deserve. Give them what they need. Write that down somewhere. That's what the gospel's about. The people who are being unfair and mean are not at peace. Write that down somewhere. The people in your life who are being mean and unfair and vindictive, they're not at peace. And what they need is someone at peace to demonstrate peace to them, and maybe my kindness will point them to the ultimate kindness. You know what that is? Ephesians 2. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and, say that word out loud, what? Kindness toward us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ. The gospel is all about the kindness of God towards us. Here's the deal. Okay, let's just get practical. You know how, you know that you've started to identify with difficult people in a way that's ready to respond to their difficulty with kindness. I think he might give us a hint. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I think what he's saying is that something that just is, is not normal. That ain't regular. Our normal reaction is to weep when they rejoice and to rejoice when they weep. I'll prove it to you. Watch. All you Ohio State fans right now, you love that picture, right? <laughs> it's just natural. You love that picture. Uh, just because I'm equal opportunity. And all you Michigan fans love that picture, right? It's just natural. Uh, we rejoice when our enemy and difficult people and people that we don't agree with, when they weep, we rejoice. And when they rejoice, we weep. Now, what's interesting is that's funny. But in real life, for the person who is renewing their mind daily with the gospel and responding to it here Here's how you know that you're being released from bitterness. You weep, even in your enemy's pain, and you rejoice in the rejoicing. 
your heart aches when you see them experience the painful consequences of sin in their life. You don't sit back and say, serves them right. You see how the gospel has to do transforming work in a lot of us. Me. It's exactly what Jesus did for us. Which leads him to say this. He says, let me just take it further. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. It's counterintuitive. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. And you're like, yeah, now we're talking, right? <laughs> what Paul's doing here is he's borrowing from an Old Testament passage, the book of Proverbs. He's not talking about revenge. He's talking about responding to cruelty with kindness. And this would have been a Hebrew metaphor and actually an Egyptian custom that either means that by heaping burning coals on their head, by giving them kindness in response to their cruelty, I either wake them up and my kindness will wake them up to the kindness of God, or my kindness will further accentuate the shame of their meanness. You know this. You ever had somebody that you were snarky with and said something bad and insulted them, and they came back with a kind word just total opposite and you're like oh wow you're like sorry that's what he's saying which leads him to say this be careful then to do what's right in the eyes of everyone if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone then he says this don't take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it's written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord <clears throat> you know what happens when somebody wrongs you is unjust to you, your first reaction is to get even, settle the score, and basically, I want to get them worse than they got me. I want to get them even better. I want them to feel worse than I did. I want to administer some good old-fashioned justice. And Paul is saying that the judge's chair is not empty. Write that down. The judge's chair is not empty. In fact, I would say this, the way I respond to the gospel is by staying out of the judge's chair. When I get in the judge's chair, I leave the seat that was meant for me, and I get in somebody else's seat. When I get in the judge's chair, I leave the seat that was meant for me. Uh, I've shared this here at our campus, and almost 20 years ago, I went through a really bad uh, time um, where I had some very unjust things that happened to me. And during that time, I mean without no need to go into the details, but they're very unjust and uh, things that had happened that were wrong and uh, things that were being said about me uh, as a result of that that were not true because I had to lead through some very hard stuff. And it really, really impacted me to the point where I woke up one day in a full-blown depression. I'd never been depressed a day in my life. I didn't even know what I was in. Eventually, through um, the encouragement of some strong spiritual leaders where I was at, um, I was encouraged to go to counseling, and I did. I remember one day the counselor talking to me, and uh, I was like any of you. Uh, I drug my feet, and uh, I just wanted justice. This guy had wronged me. It hurt my family. He was, you know... I wanted justice. And I remember the counselor knew that I was a football coach. And he asked me a question. He said, Dan, have you ever had a referee make a bad call? I said, I've never known a referee that didn't make a bad call, but my team had just endured a really, really bad call a few games before. We had played an undefeated team, 
and we were five and two, and we were gonna try to mess up their season, and our team was all fired up, and we were on their home field, and so it was their ball, first series of the game, and me and the other coach, we wanted to get our team off to a fast start, so we called a blitz. That means our linebackers were going to go, and they went, and they hit their running back, and the ball popped out, and they fumbled it, and our team recovered it, and we we were so elated, the game started exactly the way we wanted. Referee blew the whistle, sure and he said this. He said, I don't uh, know why he said this, but he said, it's the other team's ball. And he gave him 10 yards. So we lost the ball, and he gave him 10 yards. And so it was interesting. At that point, I wanted to talk to the referee, you can imagine. And so I pulled him over and he tried to explain and it made no sense and I app we were we were being treated unjustly it was not a fair call we were on their home field and I came unglued and I threw my hat and he said I'm gonna throw you out of the game and I said you try you know the whole first half I was in his back pocket telling him how he was wrong and he had just been unjust to our team and but at halftime I realized something that I was so focused on him and the injustice that I stopped doing what I had control of. And that was coaching my team. My counselor at that point had me. He said, that is a great story. He said, do you ever stop to think to yourself, why did the NFL put in instant replay? I said, because they want to slow it down and make the right call every time. He said, yeah, they have a perspective you don't have. That's why in 1 Peter 2 it says this, that when you're walking through injustice, follow the example of Jesus who when he was treated unjustly, he, hears the words, entrusted himself to the God who always judges justly. That's what Paul's referring to here. He's simply saying this, when I get in the judge's chair, I leave a seat that was meant for me and I'm getting in somebody else's seat and that's God's. And the point is this, God has a better view than I do. He'll make a better call. That chair is too big for you and me. We do not know everything about the situation. We do not see it perfectly. We might think we do, but we don't. And there is no way in the world that my own sinful nature won't skew my perspective, no matter what I think. But even more than that, to remember that all of us are sinners who deserve justice from a holy God and at the cross is where justice was meted out. I deserve the justice that Jesus endured on my behalf. The way I think about it is this, guys. The one in the judge's chair left his chair to take the cross that was meant for me and to endure my judgment. And now he is the only one worthy to sit in that chair, that judge's chair. Every sin will be reckoned with at the cross or in the judgment. Which leads him to say this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's saying don't let evil overcome you, but instead overcome evil with good. Here's the fourth thing I want you to write down. I'm going to respond by allowing the message of the cross to come over me every day. I'm going to respond. 
Honestly, I don't know of any greater power. When I seek revenge, I'm being overcome with evil. But when I hold on to bitterness, evil is overcoming me. Let me say that again. When I seek revenge, I'm being overcome with evil, and I'm trying to overcome their evil with evil. And when I hold on to bitterness, evil is overcoming me. Here's what's important, guys. I, I love you. I don't even know some of you, but some of you right now, you're watching this, and it's not a mistake. You've, you've watched this long, and you're being overcome by evil because of difficult people in your life. There's a guy who wrote a book called One Blood, and um, he said this, Until forgiveness is given, the victim is literally tethered to their abusers. And some of you are tethered to the people who've hurt you, the difficult people who said things about you. And I think what Paul was saying is that when I ride the reaction train, I'm trying to overcome their evil with evil. And in the end, evil is overcoming me and I'm feeding the evil inside of me. But he says, when I get on that response train and I preach the gospel to myself every day, renewing my mind, it drives me to the cross where my evil was overcome by his good grace. And when I allow that message to come over me every day, renewing my mind, I realize that is ultimately where evil is overcome. So, the next time Pastor Aiden bullies me here in the office and wants to pick a fight with me, I'm going to tap dance. <laughs> yeah, sounds weird. The truth is, I think tap dancing in a street brawl <laughs> is about as weird as this sounds. It's counterintuitive. It's not normal. It's not the pattern of our world. And yet I think what he's saying is that when I respond to the gospel, I recognize that 2,000 years ago in the face of false accusers, and the worst that humanity could throw at him, Jesus did a dance. And that dance he did was a dance where they tapped his hands to the cross. And it was a dance of profound and radical love that settled the score, endured my justice, demonstrated his love for me so that I could be a friend of God. I'd love for you to bow your heads with me and pray. Some of you, in this moment of prayer, wherever you're at, you can think of somebody or somebodies that are difficult in your life. And for some of you, you're ignoring them. Just go ahead and get their face in your mind. Why don't you write their name down somewhere? And you're ignoring them. And I'm going to ask you right there this moment to ask God to help you start identifying with them to stop caricaturizing them, over-awfulizing them, dehumanizing them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't even have to like them right now just to, to at least identify with them. And then I'm going to ask you to, to, to ask God as you preach the gospel to yourself every day to help you respond, not react. And even if there's cruelty, that you would respond with a kindness a kindness that demonstrates the gospel that's being preached every day to you. And for some of you, some of you, you can't get past the bitterness because you're sitting in the wrong chair. 
you're sitting in the judge's chair. And, and, and what Paul is saying is when you respond to the gospel, you realize that seat's not for you. And maybe the commitment is to let the gospel come over you every day so that you can cling to what is good, hate what is evil, and not allow evil to overcome you. And so God, I pray these people that we wrote their names down, that you would help us to begin extending kindness and maybe the kind thing we do right now this moment is pray for those people. Just pray for those people. Maybe we send them a note wishing them well. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a phone call saying just thinking of you and I prayed for you. For others of us, we're hanging on to bitterness so much because we want the judge's chair, we want the score to be settled, and yet even if we got what we wanted, there's something that would be left unhealed in our own heart. And I pray that you would help us to pursue the ultimate healing that comes only because of what is good, and that is the cross and your good grace in our life. And God, I pray that you would renew our mind every day with the gospel so that we would respond instead of react to the difficult people in our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.